All right, how's everybody doing? Man, some of you, I've missed seeing you. You've been traveling. It is so good to see you guys kind of back in here in the fold of our family. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, well, welcome back, Keith and Regina and the girls. You guys have been on sabbatical, and so I'm, I know that his time away has been hopefully meaningful and refreshing. We're going to catch up because we haven't been able to see each other because I've been gone as he has been gone. We're in the third week of a series, this idea of this invisible war. How many of you have ever just like, man, that has been some spiritual warfare in my life. How many of you experienced that? Lots of you. If you haven't, either you haven't recognized it as such or it's coming, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. It's just the reality of where we are. Well, part of that spiritual warfare that all of us are, are dealing with is not only what, the outside stuff, but the inside stuff, the inside war that we're talking about. And we've been talking about it for the, this is our third week. So if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to camp there in just a moment. We talked about this at the kind of the beginning of this, this idea, if you look up the definition of throne, it gives you a couple, but the, the verb version of it is powerful because it says to place somebody on that throne. And we got this from a Webster Conference Center where our students were just there, there last week, but it was, a, it was an old deacon's chair, which is pretty intimidating considering the size of this bad boy. Corey likes to sit in it because he says it's ergonomically correct. Keith is agreeing. I am not. I've sat in it a couple times. Um, maybe it's because I'm older than both of them. I don't know. But it is this idea of a throne that somebody's on the throne of our lives, okay? Somebody is, or something is. And the idea is that, that Christ should be on the throne of our lives, but sometimes we ask Him to get up because we want to be in that place. We like that seat because it gives us power, control, take a pick. And so we're going to talk a whole lot about that here in just a moment. One of the things I was thinking through as I was getting ready for this, I, I mean, I just, I prayed a lot this week and just thinking about this passage and thinking about this journey that we're all on. Um, you got in your, uh, in the information you're sitting with, you've got a card and it says Invisible War. And on the back it says, it says, what is your throne war? And I want you to think about sometime during this time is what's that, what's that throne war? What is that, where are you wrestling with God about giving him his rightful place in your life? Where is that for you? Because at, at the end, what I want you to do is there's a basket on either side. You don't put your name on it. Just, just set it in there. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did this. And it was, it was very sobering to read what a large chunk of you were wrestling through and thinking through. We're going to get there in just a moment. But I want you to know a couple things. Spiritual warfare is a cosmic battle. You need to know that. This is beyond what we see and know because the enemy wants to do everything in his power to keep you from being in the place that God wants you to be. He wants to make sure that he steps on you and not only steps on you, but just squelches any chance that your relationship with Christ will flourish in any shape or form. He doesn't want the church to be healthy. He doesn't want you to be well in your marriage or in your parenting or in your health or in any area of your life. He wants to do whatever he can to suck the life out of you so that you will place yourself in this seat so you can say, well, God, if you won't, I will. God, I think I know better, whatever it may be. And so this is real, this warfare that's going on because it's externally, but I think more often it's internally. We kind of like running the show. 
So if you're taking notes, I've got a couple of things I want you just to drop down, to jot down if you want to just kind of follow along. Temptation involves the will. Just know that. Temptation involves the will. It always pokes at the things that you go, well, you know, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to be that. I kind of want to do this. Satan often attacks, and this is important, Satan often attacks with doubt and dependence. Doubt the goodness of God and dependence upon yourself. That if God won't, I will. I better step up because God can't. And so you know that. How many of you've, uh, how many of you've sat in this seat where God should sit? How many of you? Get your hands up. If you're not hands up, you're lying. You have some point said, God, I just am going to do this thing. I think I know better. How many of you sat in this seat of, of the throne of your life and then later went, what was I thinking? Okay. Yeah. See, more hands go up. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're 12 years old, you don't have a lot of logic or a lot of common sense. Am I right? Yeah, you know. Okay, even the middle schoolers are nodding. Okay, wow. They're right. They know. Well, when we lived on base housing, I was sitting on the throne of my life. I knew how to hunt. Who said that? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what God was going. Really? Um, and so me and my friend, it had snowed. And I'm this expert hunter, um, which in my mind... I am, because I've watched a lot of Wild Kingdom. <laughs> okay? And, and, and let me help you out. Uh, they don't hunt. They just watch. And so we, uh, we uh, I lived in a cul-de-sac and Wyantir Elementary was on the backside of our property, and it snowed, and, and so uh, one of the things is, is that when rabbits go out and scamper around, they're, they're, their footprints are pretty distinct. And you can find them. And so on my throne of this master hunter, my friend and I go to uh, uh, just a, um, where the water goes through. What are those things called? Culvert. And it wasn't a very big culvert. Like, like for a little guy, I mean, I'm not sure how you could kind of, you could wiggle your way through, but you could not stand, crawl. You would have to kind of wiggle. And so we follow the rabbit tracks to that culvert. And so we both look down in the culvert and he goes, there's a rabbit. And in my hunting skills, my, I tell my friend with a slingshot, I say, well, you stand at this end and I'll go down to that end. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the throne of this expert hunter. There's no way this is comfortable. Okay. <laughs> and so he's at that end and I see the rabbit in the middle of the culvert, which is about 20 feet in length. And he thinks, well, I'll shoot it, which we have no idea why we're doing this because we don't know what. We're not going to bring home a dead rabbit to my parents. Mom, look what I got today. Dinner's today. No, no that's not happening. Just a 12-year-old boy. Just do the math. And so he's at that end with his slingshot, a real slingshot that you know you put in him, this thing. And I'm at the other end blocking the rabbit's exit with my noggin. And so... He's down at that end, and I'm down this end with my head, and I'm going, yep, I see him. He can't get out. Fire at will. <laughs> and you know, he missed that rabbit. <laughs> but he plunked me right in the mouth with a big old rock. And my lip was as big as the rock. Because I was on the throne thinking I knew how to do this thing. I knew how to hunt. 
I came up, you know what? We only did that once. Because he asked me, he goes, he goes, you want to try again? I'm like, even my 12-year-old logic was like, no, my lip is inflamed. It hurts. And, I, and, I, and I, I thought back on that story, and I thought about my arrogance and my just not bright moment where I thought we could do this thing, and that rock came whizzing. But I'm sure that if a rabbit could laugh, it's going, oh. yeah. I'm sure the rabbit was going, yay, you, you know. And I mean, my lip was boom. But think about it for just a second. What else could have gone wrong? It could have hit me in the eye. Could have done worse. Could have killed me. I mean, seriously. I mean, the rock came with some velocity. I could have broken teeth, which I had just had all this dental work done. My parents would have, whoo, would have not gone good. But it's funny because we think when we're in this chair, we know how to run it. We know how to do it. We know how to manage our lives. And then when it gets crazy and it, and, and it goes off the rails, we go, hey, God, come on, clean all this up for me. And so I went through um, what we did a few weeks ago, and I just kind of just grabbed, I, I wanted just to see what people were struggling with, what was on the throne of their life. I'm going to give you the bottom one first. Okay, so help me out here. You get audience participation. What do you think people were struggling with? Number three, who's on the throne of their life? What, what, what was something that might be struggling with? What? Finances? Okay. What? Help. Good one. What? Yep. Keep going. Relationships, you're getting warmer. This was number three. What people think. I went through that massive stack, and let me tell you, there was a lot of them. And number three was what do people think of me? And that was, that means that that took the place of God. They were more concerned about what God thought. How about number two? I haven't heard it yet. Social media, uh, that would be a good one. And it's actually on there, but it's not as many as the others. What would be number two? What? Marriage? Good one, but not on here. Pride? Very good one. Uh, getting closer. Ah, I just heard it. Fear was number th two. That meant that for the, those persons who wrote that down, what people think was sitting on the throne where Jesus should sit. Fear was sitting on the throne where Jesus should be. And the top one, which was, I would say, if I were doing a percent, I would say 75% of them was this one. money. Money was the overwhelming percent of people they were struggling with. That that was on the throne of their life. That money was consuming them, whether it was too much, not enough, acquiring more, whatever it was. And so what people think, fear, and some of you, what you just named, 
are in that pile. We had addictions. We had parenting. We had marriage. We had retirement. We had health. We had um, a whole laundry list. But these three kept reoccurring consistently. And so if those are a, 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 a snapshot for us, that this is an area that these things are replacing God on the throne of our lives. These things. When we think we know better, we think, well, I, I'll figure this out. and I'll, The enemy loves for you to spend your time trying to solve those things. Because when you do, then God never gets the throne that he should have. He doesn't. And so I, I say that to you because one of the things that, you, that Satan loves to do is entice you with words. You know, if you go back to the story when we talked in Genesis, where he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say? Did God really? He plays, he plays to the things that stroke our egos. If somebody says, you're really good at that, like my friend, you're really good at blocking the way for that rabbit to get out. Yeah, not so good. The idea is that Satan uses things to entice, and you're going to see that here in just a second. He's trying to entice Jesus, which is kind of amusing. C.S. Lewis said this in relation to this, that when we're thinking about these things, and these things are consuming our life, he, he, I love what he said. This is out of screw tape letters. He said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, softer than foot, without sudden turnings, without millstones, and without signposts. And I, I, I was reading, and I was, I meant to, I was, I was reading a, a commentary, actually, of all things, and they were talking about the difficulty to getting cattle to slaughter. And one guy came up with an idea that if you gently take them out of their, their, wherever they're coming from, and you move them without rustling and kicking and poking and prodding, and you gradually move them along, if you do it in a methodical way that doesn't alarm them or doesn't startle them, they're more likely to get to where they need to be. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sobering because that's how the enemy does. He doesn't want you to be alarmed about the condition. He doesn't want you to be aware that, that God is not on the throne of your life. He wants you to think that everything's good. Um, I've just got a few things to solve, but I'm really sitting in this seat. And if you want to find out who's on the throne of your life in those areas. Try to put God back there and see how it ruffles your feathers or see the spiritual warfare that comes out or see the reality that he has never been in this area of my life. My money, my fear, what people think of me. I have, I have been on that throne from day one and when you try to put him back there, you will see where you really are, okay? So if you're with us, uh, we're in Matthew chapter four. We're gonna look at this. A great story. Jesus, Jesus has come off of a, just like our students, has come off of a spiritual high. He has just come from being baptized. It's basically just, man, you're, it's, it's an example for us to follow. He didn't need it, but he was giving us. And the last words from his father, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This guy is, and so, and then look what it says. I want you to know something. God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't go, oh, I'm gonna tempt you just to see where you are. Because in James, uh, let me read this out of James 13, because this is pretty important. Because sometimes we go, well, why would he do this? We're going to talk about that. James 13 says this, says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt to be tempted with evil. God's not going to, God will test two different things. 
But God can't tempt you to be like a bad person or do something against his standards, okay? God does test, though. And this is also important, too. God's not testing his son to see if he's worthy, okay? His son's worthy. But what he is doing is giving us a blueprint of how to handle the stuff that comes our way. God gives us, through his son, this, this beautiful model of how to handle this real-life stuff that we're facing in our lives. And so it says this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? So the devil and Jesus are going toe-to-toe. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And this is important because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay? He was supernaturally born, so he was not born through the channels that we are born into the sinfulness. He was not born that way. He understands temptation, but he's never sinned. He understands temptation because it's, it's, it's a real thing. You can be tempted and understand it, but not, not do it, right? You've been tempted. To, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. You know, I grew up, uh, my grandmother smoked. Well, let me just tell you. I was never tempted to smoke because I didn't like the smell of it. And I saw what it did to my grandmother. I wasn't tempted, but I understood the ramifications of it. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is giving us this model that being fully God and fully man, how do you handle these moments? And he gives us a blueprint for that. It says, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I've thought about this a lot this week. The enemy doesn't know as much as God knows. And he thinks that I've got Jesus in a human form and I've got this one opportunity to derail it. I've got this one chance to try to get him to do something else other than his intended purpose. And Satan doesn't know everything that Jesus knows. His ability is limited. And it says he was hungry. He says, well, I'm going to try to get him to do the man thing and do something. And God's like, uh, I can see all this. I know how this plays. I love this because one of the things you see is that Jesus sees the reality of sin better than anybody. My ability is limited on what I understand and see. I can say, oh, that's bad. We shouldn't be this. But he understands the ramifications of sin on a level that none of us can fully understand. We want to. We think we can, but we can't. Our finite minds cannot understand the things of God in everything. And that's where there's a faith element that we trust. And it says, the tempter came to him and said, oh, look at what he says. Remember what I talked about enticing words? If, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If, he's playing to, he's playing, oh, if you're really the son of God? I mean, I love, and, and, and I want you, this is so important you catch this. Look at how Jesus responds. He doesn't, he doesn't, first off, he is so different than Eve. He doesn't have a dialogue with him. He just does the thing that the foundation for all of us, when we want to think about who is in this throne, and if it's, if it's Christ or if it's something else or somebody else, he says, look at the scriptures. Look at what the word of God says. And he says, if you are the son of God, command these to become loaves of bread. And look at what Jesus says. It is written Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3. 
He immediately goes back to scripture. And here's what Satan was trying to get him to do. Use your divine powers to meet a physical need independently of the Father. He was asking, he was trying to get Jesus to meet a physical need instead of depending on God. And he's like, no, I'm going to keep my dependency on God. This, this little thing ain't working. But, but for you and I, this is important because I'm not Jesus. And I aren't there times where I want to meet some needs ahead of what God's plan is? How many of you have ever tried to hurry God's will along? Okay, yeah, (laughs) I hear that collective sigh, oh yeah. (laughs) Whenever we try to hurry God along, it never goes well. God works at His pace, His timing. Sometimes it's really a long time, but if we try to hurry it along, then we we are asking Him to get up, and I'll take the place I'll take that, that seat. And so Jesus is giving us a blueprint that you are to trust God. You are to say, God, I'm going to trust you that you will provide, that you will make, a, you will make this right. And so he was, he was making sure that for us, when we look at that, it's like, okay, God, you are the one that works this. You are, your timing is always good. You will provide. You will meet the needs But when we try to hurry God along, then we're asking him to get up because we think we know better. So verse 5 says this. It says, so the devil took him, and it's interesting, he took him because that meant that Jesus had to be willing to go. I mean, I think if you put in a sideliner, Jesus is going, I'll play along. I'll play along. I'll play along. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, oh, there he is again, using that word again. If you want to turn some, get some food, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. At least you not, your foot will not strike against a stone. It's interesting because Jesus, the enemy kind of ups the ante. You know what he does? He uses scripture. But here's a cool part, and this is an important part. He's also misquoting scripture. He's leaving awesome stuff. He's good at that. He likes to take scripture and kind of twist it just a little bit. And I want to go back there. You don't have to go there, but I want to go back there and I want you to see this. Because this is important because when you take a verse out of context, you can make it fit anything, am I right? You can. And I love this because in verse 1 of Psalms 91, it says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, if you really trust God, you're not going to ask him to do some sort of circus act. You're not going to ask him to go, God, if I jump off here, um, you're going to catch me. That would be like a diabetic saying, God's going to take care of me even if I don't take my insulin. Really? Some of you, if you're on medicine, God's going to take care of me even though I've got this issue and, I, and the medicine helps me, I'm just not going to take it because God's going to take it. No. It's, there's, a, there's a surrendering. There's a saying, I'm not going to make Jesus or God into some sort of parlor tricks. I'm going to trust him for who he is and I'm not going to ask him to do some sort of circus show. And what Jesus was trying to get, Jesus, or excuse me, what Satan was trying to get Jesus to buy into, which he wasn't, but he's really talking to us as, does God really care for you? For us this morning, what that scripture is saying is, do, does God really care for you? 
Because I love what Second Timothy six thirteen through seventeen says. It says, "All Scripture is God breathed, uh, breathed out, of, out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work." That when you more time you immerse yourself in the Word of God, the more you understand who God is and who He wants to be in your life. If you get just kind of a, a, a Cliff Notes version of God, you're vulnerable to this. You're vulnerable. I am. And so Jesus says pretty clearly, don't make Jesus God in some parlor trick. Like he'll solve, he'll fix, he'll do these things. I remember my dad told me a story about he and his brother. Uh, when they were growing up, um, they had this idea that they could fly. And so they got on their garage, I believe. And he told his brother that if he flapped his arms really hard, he could fly. And so his, my Uncle Billy jumps off the garage and flaps his arms until he hit the ground and broke his arm. And so in my dad's infinite wisdom, Uncle Billy's mad because he broke his arm and he goes, he goes, well, you broke your arm because you weren't flapping your arms hard enough. <laughs> There's just some things you don't test God about. God says, bring me your stuff, but come on, don't bring me stuff like that. God, if I jump off this building, you're going to catch me. Um, he's got bigger things to do in your life than for you to treat him like a parlor trick. Okay? So verse 8 says this. Satan's not getting him to budge, bite, anything. Because Jesus is like, okay, I'll play along. Take me to the next one. Here we go. And it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus, I'm sure Jesus is like, okay, are you done now? Because here's reality. Look at what Jesus says. It says, when Jesus said to him, be gone. Bye-bye. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only to serve. Deuteronomy 6.13. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus gives us a model that when we face throne issues, don't ask him to get up. Make sure he stays seated. Make sure that when you're struggling and you want it, you were like, oh, I've got money issues. God, I've got fear issues. I'm really concerned about what people think of me. Make sure he stays in the seat because when we take the seat that he's supposed to be in, it doesn't go well. It never does. It never does. And he says, I know the secret. Stay connected to God. Immerse yourself in his word. Stay true to him. Trust him. Lean in on him. He will provide he will take care of you. He will make sure that nothing else gets in this seat but him. And so he gives us this blueprint as we face this. Jesus never sinned, but he understood. And he could say, okay, this is how you handle this stuff. This is how you handle temptation. This is how you do it. It's interesting because Matthew tells us this, but when you get into Luke 4.13 uh, it says that Satan left for a more opportune time and I've often thought about 
what was the opportune time? Was it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was feeling the weight of sin and all that was coming upon him? Was it on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When was it that he went, see? And here's the thing I love about our Jesus. Jesus had a singular focus to redeem all of us. And it never, ever changed. There was nothing that was going to get in his way. Think about this. Did his disciples want to change, want him to change course? Yes or no? They did. Were the religious leaders of his day want him to change course? They did. All these people were telling him, this is how you need to do this. This is how you ought to be. This is what you ought to be about. And Jesus said, I hear you, but I came to redeem mankind. I came to take the rightful place in your life if you'll let me. I came for this purpose to be the, in the, not as a ruler with a thumb on you, but as your Savior, as your Lord. And when we see that for what it is, we don't think, oh, I'm going to be oppressed. No. No. And I'll tell you this, when it comes to doing God's work and trusting God, there are no shortcuts. You can't have Him there sometimes and something else other times. You've got to say, God, it's yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. I love what this says. 1 Peter 5, 10 says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ with himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, whenever you're facing this stuff, and your spirit, some of you are facing spiritual warfare and battles, we have a God who says he'll come and comfort you. He did it for his own son. He'll do it for us. Let me read that again. First Peter 5.10. Maybe some of you need to go there and mark this and highlight this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, he's in the business of redeeming us. That's what he does. Whenever we're facing throne issues, he's in the business of that. If you're taking these final notes, let me give you a couple quick things. When you think about this story that we just read, self-gratification is about physical needs. You can fill that in. Self-protection, who do I trust? Self-exaltation is who's on my throne. Just leave them there for just a second. You write those in. Self-gratification, self-protection, self-exaltation. You want to make it about you. And when, if you think about those three things, those are prevalent in our lives today, am I right? Am I right? They are. I want to meet my physical needs now. It can be, you take your pick on what that is. I want, I, who do I trust? Do I trust God or do I trust myself? Do I trust my, my family? Who is it? And then ultimately, who's on the throne? Who really is in this seat? Is God or is it me or something else? And I love this because I was getting ready for this and I want to finish up with this. Um, this whole series can be summed up with an ad from a burger place called Burger King. And I want you to see this. It says this. It says, have it your way. Now, I want you to read this with me. You can read it. I'll read. It says, you have the right to have what you want exactly the way you want it because on the menu of life, you are today special and tomorrow and the day after that. And well, you get the, uh, you get the drift. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, are my friend, are the almighty ruler. That is, in essence, what this is about, folks. 
When we don't give up this seat for Christ who died on the cross for us, it is all about us and not about him. I read that as I was getting ready for this. I had no idea that that was below because I was thinking, have it your way. That's kind of cool. But that was sobering. Am I right? Do you think Christians struggle with that today? Yes or no? They absolutely do. They absolutely do. We want to put God in his rightful place, but boy, we sure want to be in that. We like this chair. We like the throne. People notice. People notice. James 4, 8 says this. says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Folks, the only way that this works is to be single-minded and allowing Christ to be in his rightful place. Because if you don't, you're going to ask him to get up. And you're going to take the throne of your life. And I've dealt, been pastoring a long time now. And every time somebody, I've had people in my office who I've given wise biblical counsel, not of my own, but from the word of God. And they have sat in this chair and they went, you know, Danny, that's exactly right. And that is completely biblical, but I'm going to do what I want. All right, I guess we're done. I don't have any other wisdom for you. Because if you want to stay in the throne of your life, uh, as my friend used to say, do the math. It's not going to go well. And so my question to you today is, is back to this card. What is it about your life? What, who's on the throne? Is it one of these things? Let me just tell, let me help you out something. It's one thing to own it. It's another thing to confess it and surrender it. And many of you can say, yeah, my, I've got money issues. But does, is it, is God back in your throne to, to help you solve it? I, I'm really concerned what people think about me. If, if God's not on the throne of that, that doesn't go away. And God, I, I'm concerned about fear, my, my family, my, my health, my retirement, my, my job, my whatever. Those things are always there, but if God's not in the rightful place, they become bigger things. They become bigger things. And so maybe for you is, is to come up and pray and say, God, I... I've confessed it, but I need, to, I need to surrender it. I need to say, no more, no more throne. You've been in on the throne too long. It needs to come back to Christ. It needs to be yours the way it should have been. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's the way you see church. I don't know. God knows. All I know is that we had a Savior who modeled how to handle it. Went right back to Scripture every time. Every time. And so every one of us has that internal thing going on. And who sits there is really important because it can't be you. It has to be Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask for forgiveness where I've wanted it my way. I didn't realize I was quoting a Burger King slogan. But I think all of us in this room, we've wanted it our way in some capacity. We've wanted you to do things a certain way. We've wanted our children, our spouses, our church, our friends, our work, our society, whatever it is, we've wanted them to do it our way. We've asked them to, be, to, to do stuff because we like that throne. The throne gives us power. It gives us purpose. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing something. And I ask for forgiveness in my own life, God, where I have circumvented your place. I have, I have stepped into a role that I am, I am ill-equipped for. And just like trying to 
shoot a silly rabbit. I thought I knew better and I really don't know anything. And I pray for us right now, God, that we would surrender ourselves to you. That it's one thing to to confess. It's another thing to surrender and say, God, it's yours. To ask for forgiveness for an area of our life that has, that, that, that you have not been enthroned on. You, you've just not had permission. You've not, we've not given you any, any access to that of our lives. And maybe we just need to do business, whether it's at this altar or right where we sit. But God, we sit in this room this morning for a purpose. And that is to, is to worship a Savior on the throne of our lives. And that can't be done unless you're there. So there may be somebody in this room that they've never even, you're not, you're not, they don't have a relationship with you. And myself or Corey or Keith, there would be no greater privilege than to help them find out who this Jesus is and where he wants to be in their lives. And God, we give you thanks for how your son handled temptation and the model that he gives us. And I thank you, God, for a son who is perfect and sinless. I thank you for a savior who shows us as life comes at us, how to lean back on you. And I give you thanks for that, God, in your name I pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. This is an altar that we often use. Um, You are certainly welcome. You could bring a card and set it here. Um, But use this time to do some business with God.